podcast. I'm Pastor Rebecca. And I am Pastor Chad. So this week was Jeremiah. Was a bullfrog. No. No. So the interesting, so what's the next line in that song? Was a good friend of mine. Yeah, which nobody ever said about the prophets. (laughs) It it occurred to me, like, after the sermon, because I actually started my sermon this week. Jeremiah was, and then... Everybody... Yeah. The majority of the people who said was a bullfrog because that's like what, yeah. There's that's some really good songwriting and marketing because you can't say Jeremiah without was a bullfrog. Yeah. Now it's generational, of course, but um, yeah. And then I'm like, but wait a minute, the next line in that song is was a, a good, good friend, friend of mine, my, and like the prophets were hated. Yeah. No, they weren't. They, so I don't know. <laughs> you know, it's really interesting in the Bible. You don't get a lot of. Um, talk of friendship aside from like say Jonathan and David there's not a lot of here's my buddy you know my best friend my best friend George and and, me and my buddy yeah you don't really get Um, a lot of that you don't get just friendships yeah I mean you kind of assume it from the disciples maybe or at least I do because they spent so much time together and figured that they had to get along or like man that would be miserable um, Except they seem to I, fight quite a bit too. That's so true. What? I mean, I, <laughs> Who's going to be first? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Well, Peter was a jerk. Um, <laughs> back to my disdain of Peter. Um, yeah, that's true. That's true. But I mean, I think we do almost universally understand that the prophets were not—they were not well liked. No, um, no. Over, overall, people did not care for the message um, that the prophets brought. Um, and in this particular case, it was, they had, I mean, the, the history of Jeremiah, of course, is for, at first, one of the things he was telling them was, hey, um, you're going to go into exile, so just yeah. get used to that fact. And nobody wanted to hear that. So there were a whole bunch of other prophets that were around telling them, oh, no, resist, fight, blah, blah, blah. And Jeremiah's going, yeah, no, that's not going to go well for you. Don't do that. And then we get to where he's at here, where they're already in the exile. Um, and, and actually, Jeremiah did not go to Babylon. Jeremiah right. went to Egypt, not willingly, he was kind of, I, I don't know if you want to say kidnapped. <laughs> like they, his friends perhaps yeah. <laughs> grabbed hold of him and basically they dragged him down to Egypt. And he was like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, so this week, this week was interesting in terms of sermon prep. Um, it was a text that we've already, that we, that was already, we already covered this, this summer. Um, as, as one of our sermon series. With the Unraveled series. Yeah, with the Unraveled series. And, and neither you or I preached that weekend. Uh, we were both away. Pastor, Pastor Dave preached that weekend. it was Fourth of July weekend or something it was. like that. Yeah. It was. Um, I was on my, my one and only vacation. <laughs> and I was still on sabbatical. Um, so. So, so, and, and Pastor, Pastor Dave's theme was essentially bloom where you're planted. Um, and I looked at the text this week and I'm like, you know, I feel like there's... I feel like there's so much in Jeremiah, like the book itself. There's so much in Jeremiah to focus just on this bloom where you're planted solely isn't really faithful to the book. No. Um, 
because it's, I mean, bloom where you planted. I mean, it, yeah, they're in exile, and Jeremiah says, you know, hey, listen, do your thing. Like, don't just give up and, you know. Yeah, I mean, th- that's. Don't th- th- just throw the covers over your head and, 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 and cease existing in, in, in the land of your exile in, in, in Babylon. So I, there's some value to that. But one, we've heard, we heard it earlier this year for those who were, were here, and it just seemed. It just didn't seem faithful to the book of Jeremiah in the, when we're doing the narrative lectionary. Right. And to not... Kind of following what's going yeah, on yeah. in, and, in the and, progression. Yeah, and we're getting to the point, um, I mean, in spite of Christmas trees up everywhere, got mine up yesterday, um, and holidays, and Christmas songs all over the radio, um, Christmas is not here yet. Um, we're in Advent. The first Sunday, this was the first Sunday of Advent. Um, okay, Scrooge. The, I know, right? I, the, the, the Sunday. I love all the pastors going, it's not Christmas yet. And I'm just like, okay, guys, let's. Yeah, yeah. Um, but liturgically, it's Advent. It was the first Sunday of Advent. Liturgically, this is true. We are in a time of darkness. Um, it is supposed to be kind of that uh, time of reflection. Yep. It's not quite as dark as say Lent, you yeah. know, um, we're not heading where, where in that case it's like, we gotta, we gotta actually head towards death and, yeah. and before we get to yeah, head towards birth. Yeah. But so if, so for, for the ladies who have, who have, uh, who have bare children, um, the, the closer you get to the end, <laughs> the rougher it gets. Um, I know we have a family who, um, is now seven days away from, from, uh, childbirth. Um, so she's literally counting the dates, and I know that she's like, "I'm done, I'm ready." <laughs> um, I think we get that way with you know with Advent too. You know, you know Jesus is coming. Let's just get on with it already. Right. Um, so, yeah, the, we but know, this, we know how the story goes. Right. So we we know, already know the ending. Yeah. So let's get let's there. Just, let's just skip this part. Give me Jesus. Yeah. Um, so, so this this was kind of a hope Sunday, um, it, liturgically in terms of Advent. So I think, you know, we really, I really tried to focus on, you know, the destruction that comes from our breaking God's covenant and our own garbage and sinfulness. And then, you know, there's this hope thing that Jeremiah kind of slips in at the very end, right? Yeah. Oh, so, and by the way, after your 70 years, I'll bring you back. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, there's, and there's a Messiah coming from the line of David. Like, just kind of slips that in at the end. And I, I, there's, there's something to that I think that I found, I found really powerful. You know, as you're, as you're, you know, sort of quick skimming through, working through Jeremiah, all 51 chapters. I didn't read all 51 chapters, um, but you kind, of, you know, you kind of look through the themes of Jeremiah, and it's a lot. You know, hey, this, listen, if y'all keep doing what you're doing, you're gonna die. You're gonna go into exile. Your city's gonna be destroyed. Yeah, well, keep going. Well, guess what? Then it happens, and Jeremiah tells about it happening. And then he's like, oh, well, it doesn't just happen to Israel. It happens to the surrounding lands. Who, oh, and then it happens to Babylon, too. And, oh, yeah, then... Well, the thing I always found interesting about Jeremiah was... So, last week was... Um, I th- Boy, my weeks run together. Last week, I think I preached, didn't I? Yep. Wasn't it Isaiah? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Where, okay, so Isaiah's preaching because the north is being destroyed by the Assyrians. And so what we've kind of had transpire between Isaiah and Jeremiah is some bad kings came to rule in Judah, um, as w- was wont to happen, because 
so Hezekiah threw off the yoke of, of the Assyrians by rebelling against them. God miraculously delivers them by that sort of instant plague um, that, that happens overnight, and they're delivered. But then Hezekiah's son is like known for being the most brutal, horrible king in all of Judah, Manasseh. Um, who does child sacrifice and um, is worshiping the god Molech, and it's just, I hear that's bad. It is. It's it's usually not a good thing to do to do uh, things like throwing your children in in fire. It's highly frowned upon like in this that. establishment. Do you remember the 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 E Trade? I think it was the E Trade commercial with the babies, and the babies were like talking about E Trade, and yes, the baby, do. and there was a dog, and the babies like. Apparently, riding a dog is highly frowned upon in this establishment. Like that, like like that has become like highly frowned upon in this establishment has been has become like a punchline in my household. Um, and I think it, you know, worship other gods, highly child sacrifice, on. take advantage of the vulnerable. Highly frowned upon, highly frowned upon in this establishment. <laughs> yes, this highly, establishment being the church. Yeah, highly highly frowned upon. So yeah, Manessa does some some really bad stuff to the point where. Like, even a couple of generations after him, God is still referencing all the evil that Manessa did. And you're being punished because of all the evil that Manessa did. It's like, that guy was so bad. You will pay. <laughs> yeah. It's like, again Manessa again. was so bad. Because they get a little bit of a reprieve with Josiah. Josiah comes in and they, he's like remodeling the temple. And they discover what they think is the, the book of Deuteronomy. Do you think they fought about paint colors and, and I carpet? think absolutely they did. Cool. Yeah, yeah. I think they tried to figure out what, what color the, the carpet should well, be, all that kind of stuff. And, and let's no, be honest, seriously. like so many things in scripture, you know, we look and go, man, we really haven't changed. So, I mean, that would make sense that even then oh, they, sure. were, they were fighting about what color the wall should be, what color the carpet should be. What? Yeah. I mean, I, I doubt they had carpet back then. But, you know, the, yeah, you know. the whole... Um, notion of of like well do we use do we use the cedars of lebanon or do we use yeah. you know it's the, the, that kind of you know we could save money if we use those uh <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah no he's doing a renovation of the temple and he you know it's like hey look we're re renovating the church we found a bible um, and which we wouldn't find all that strange, but apparently it was strange to Josiah because he's like, wait a minute, what is this? And the, my, my favorite part of that story is, you know who they go to, to find out if it's actually the word of God. I don't. They go to Hulda the prophetess. Because ah. none of the priests know what it is. So they take it to a woman who says, yes, this is the book of the Lord. This is the book of his law. You need to be doing this. And they go, oh, and Josiah's like, oh, okay. So Josiah makes some very sweeping reforms where they tear down all the high places where they were worshiping other gods and um, makes everybody go back to, to worshiping the God of Israel. Um, so they kind of get a little bit of a reprieve where, where God says, okay, I'm not going to have you destroyed while Josiah's in power. But as soon as he's gone, you guys are going to go back to what you were doing. So <laughs> it's the, the destruction is not completely gone because I know you aren't going to keep, keep this up was sort of the, the message. Yeah. And so they get this little bit of a reprieve with Josiah and then they immediately go back downhill. So by the time you get to Jeremiah, you've got Isaiah, et cetera, all kind of, you know, Micah, 
um, those prophets all saying, hey, if you keep going this way, this is what's going to happen. Jeremiah kind of comes in and says, yeah, if you keep doing this, it's going to happen. But he also was like, it's too late. You, you have passed the point of no return. This is happening, period. It's, you, you can't do a sudden 180. You can't do the, you know, the, the sudden reprieve kind of thing. It was, this is what's going to happen because of everything that's happened before. There, there right. comes that point of no return, so to right. speak. And, and Jeremiah's like, look, this is what's coming. Um, and it's going to be bad. But if, if, you don't, if you don't resist it, if you, you accept this is what God is doing, um, it won't be as bad. Right. They, of course, ignore him and resist. And so it's worse <laughs> because that's, that's what we do. And, and you have to admit, that's, that's a hard pill to swallow when someone says, hey, there's an invading army coming, and you know what? Just roll over and let them do their thing. I mean, that... Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I don't know that anybody would be like, oh, okay, no, we're not going to fight against the Babylonians. So that, that's, that's the, the, the one part of this story that, okay, yeah, I get it. Yeah, no, like, no, nobody's going to do that. Right, the other, I mean, you know, the repeated warnings of against injustice and... That they had control yeah. over and could have fixed. Yes. That was, yeah. yeah. And, and reasonably so. Again, right, an yeah. army's coming, just roll over and... And let it happen yeah. was was not really, yeah. That that was that was not. Well, I think part of the problem though was there were the, the other prophets that were telling them they were going to be victorious. Operate, Operation Desert Storm. That was when I was in high school. Uh huh. The ninety one. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the I was um, going into college. The um. The, the American troops came in, and a lot of the Iraqi soldiers were just like, "Yep, we're done." I'm out. Peace yeah. out. I'm done. Um, but that, I mean, that's not, that's not common. No, that's, uh, that's not, that's not the norm. Yeah. And so it was just, it was kind of one of those. Um, so I understand why Jeremiah's message was, was hard to, to take in terms of, you know, just, just accept this is what's going to happen to you. <laughs> but yeah, we're not, then, acceptance is not a, no, but then he gets, so like I said, he winds up in Egypt. And in Egypt, he's like, dude, y- y'all doing the same darn thing that I told you not to do. Because guess what they start doing in Egypt? It's a human condition. They start worshiping the idols and the Egyptian gods again and blah, blah, blah. Because there are the, these basically kind of two exiled groups. There's this one in Egypt we don't hear much about. Um, and then there's uh, the one that's in uh, Babylon, which is the one we always, that group that we focus on, because that's the group that actually made this sort of transition back 70 years later. Because um, eventually the Babylonians are going to be taken over by the Persians. Um, the Persians, so here's the interesting thing about the Persians. Do you know what the religion of the Persians is? Or was? Kind of is. It still exists. It's very small now, but it's... Zoroastrianism. You are correct. I'm so proud of you. I know. You didn't think I was... So I actually... <laughs> it was like, I'm really proud of you. You pulled that one out of you. I actually took a class in college on... I don't, know what, I don't remember what it was called. 
Um, it's probably world religions type of thing. Something like that. Yep. And we talked about Zoroastrianism. So, yep. yep. Yeah. So, and Zoroastrianism, unlike paganism, which Babylonians, et cetera, are all pagans, Zoroastrians were monotheistic. They believed in a singular God. They also believed in um, kind of a devil figure. Uh, but they actually, there was, um, they even had for the, their own prophecies and things like that, that, that the Jewish people played a particular role. So the Persians were not as hostile, I guess you might say, um, to, to the Jewish people. And therefore that is part of why they were allowed to return to Jerusalem under the Persian empire. Now, still an empire. It still has all the bad things that go along with empires. Um, but in terms of the religiosity of what, you know, what was going on, there was, there was sort of a kinship there. And I think there, that we even get a lot of, um, kind of a lot of, especially in Christianity, we get a lot of Zoroastrian influence stuff um, because of that time period that the Persians then take over and that's when they return because Judaism really didn't have notions of hell and things like that. The Zoroastrians did. Yeah, my, 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 recognition, yeah. Re, or my recollection from college was that there wasn't, that the Zoroastrianism wasn't um, completely polar opposite. No. Um, very, there are, there are very, a, lot of, a lot of similarities. Yeah, there's, it's very similar. It's kind of the... I call it almost it's sort of the bridge between Judaism and Christianity in a lot of ways yeah. um, because there's there's a lot of stuff that kind of gets melded um, melded in there, but um, getting off track a little bit. The point being is there is this then, you know, stop doing what you're doing, stop, you know, whatever, but in exile... And while the people are, are in exile, and this coming week is going to be Ezekiel, so Ezekiel is a prophet for while they're in Babylon. Um, they dry, do, dry bones this week, right? Dry bones. Dry bones. Yep. Uh, they do have this, this sort of sense of community that outlasts the exile. That was, it was rare. So like when the northern kingdoms were... Um, destroyed, there was not a cohesive kind of identity of the people once the Assyrians came in um, and sort of repopulated the area and, and mingled and, and stuff like that. So you don't get the same kind of identity that, that the people of Judah managed to keep while they were in Babylon. Now, the problem is, of course, when they come back, I think I touched on this last week, is you know when they come back from Babylon is that they decide that they need to be pure. Um, and in order to be pure, all the people that are still living there um, who had married Gentiles and stuff like that have to get divorced. If, if you want to be part of our community, you cannot be married to a Gentile. So you have to get divorced, abandon your kids, everything like that in order to be part of um, what we're doing here in Jerusalem. And so it's, it's kind of this, <clears throat> on the one hand, um, you have an admiration for the way in which they were able to preserve themselves while in Babylon. 
but you also have to kind of go a little bit of when they return, sort of the, I guess you would call it them, draconian measures. <laughs> um, and, and I get it because they probably had to have those measures while they were in exile. That was right. in order to retain their identity, they had to, to do that. And then when they come back, it's kind of, they, they really, really go very zealous on that whole, nope. If you're not Jewish, you're not part of us. Go away. Yeah, it's where it really gets exclusionary. Yep. Um, And I think that's again we're we're leading up to up to Jesus, right? And so all these things you know sort of fall into place, fall into place, fall into place, and then (laughs) and then Jesus shows up and is not exclusionary. And again, not to get into Jesus track because we're not there yet in the lectionary, and we'll get to the Jesus stuff, you know, Christmas and after <laughs> Christmas. But I, I mean, you're right. It, it kind of this, this all is all is kind of leading towards um, toward towards Jesus. And I so I often wonder, you know, the 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 mindset of God, right? So <laughs> oh, there's dangerous. <laughs> I, I know. I know. Dangerous um, territory. You know, and again, I I can't imagine God not being just ridiculously frustrated. You know, so as a parent, um, you know, when when you've had that long day at work and you come home and like the kids are flipping out about stuff and the dog has to go out every five minutes and it's like you just can't catch a break, like nothing is like nothing is going the way it's supposed to, the way you intended, and then I think the difference, you know, God, well, God handles it better than well, I don't know. God sent some plagues and stuff. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, I was gonna say I, God handles it better than I did than I do, but I'm like, you know what? I didn't I send did, plagues. I didn't. I, um, I, I didn't. I haven't gone and like smited whole cities. I haven't yes. completely. <laughs> I haven't completely rained down fire. Um, but. It, but, it, but I think there's, days. I think there's, yeah, no, no kidding. I think there's like this, this really amazing sort of evolution of God as God is working through the relationship with humanity. Yes. You know, I, I set it up this way. Oh, oh, curveball. Um, oh, let's try this. Oh, and just like, okay, let me try this. Let me try this. Let, let me, they're, they're let me like, just keep pushing buttons until, and not that God doesn't have a plan. And I don't mean that God's just random. But, but there it's lies like, the problem, problem, quote, of letting creation be itself. I mean, that's kind of the thing. People are like, well, why doesn't God just do this? And it's like, because God allows creation to be, he, he, which means he allows us to be, to do, to, you know, kind of do these things. Man, that was a mistake. I, you know, I, <laughs> I mean, I, I don't. I mean, I don't mean to call out God and all, but maybe, maybe that wasn't such a but, good idea. But maybe that was the that was the one part of creation that God messed up a little bit. Um, <laughs> they said, you know, y'all, y'all, y'all just do what you're gonna do, um, and I'm I'll be here. Yeah. And I love that. I, th- so I think that I'll be here part is really, really, really critically important to our faith. Right. Um, and really critically important to understand. But on some level, it's like, dude, like maybe you should have just. Maybe you should be pulling the strings. Like I'd feel, I would probably feel better if God were, if I knew God were actually pulling the strings. That whole free will thing frees us to screw up. 
And, and we've, I mean, you can't tell me that statement's wrong. I, like, I, look at history. You can't tell me that that's wrong, that free will hasn't caused a lot of crap. Yeah. <laughs> I mean... Is that heretical? I don't think so. I mean, okay. It, if you look at the... I mean, I, I'm not going to get into the, the nuances <laughs> of, of the definitions of free will, but for the purposes of what we're talking about, yeah, he, he allows us to make choices and decisions. Um, and, you know, we, we have things that influence us, and so we have things that, you know, as those things influence us, we go, hmm, I think this uh-huh. sounds better than this. So I think, I think so this, I'm is, gonna do this, this is where it gets really tricky, right? So fast forward from Jeremiah to 2021, you know, we think, oh, we don't have idols, right? Because we don't, we don't... Well. Uh, no, no, no. Like in 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 the same sense, right? No, we so don't they have had something that we bow down to right. and give offerings to, and, and I don't, we I, put I don't up even... on a pedestal, and we come in every morning and pay homage to it. What? Well, okay. I, there, there, I, I, <laughs> he's I, like, okay, I'm going to disagree with that. I mean, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know if I completely agree with that, but I, you know, when, when so growing up, you know, study school version, and we've talked before about. You know, one thing seminary does is take all your Sunday school stuff and sort of um, do the uh, men in black thing where they flash the thing in front of your eyes to try and wipe all the Sunday school theology out. Because mm-hmm. generally speaking, I love you all Sunday school teachers, but generally speaking, Sunday school theology is not the most accurate. It's, it's partial. Sunday school, Sunday school theology is often partial, and when you're teaching kids, you know, maybe all the doom and gloom isn't the best thing to... As you've said many times, scripture isn't for kids um, because some of it is really, really dark and heavy and, some, and there's violence and all kinds of stuff. But, you know, so when growing up, when, I read, when I'd hear or read about idols, fall, you know, false idols, I, oh, well, I don't see a golden calf. Right. I don't see, oh, there's not a temple for, to worship the sun. Well, there's not a water. You know what I mean? There's, so I thought, oh, well, there's, we're over that. It's called the beach. Right. But, <laughs> right. But, but we're like... There's our temple. It's like, oh, we're over that. We're over that. We don't... We've... Humanity has gotten over the worship of idols. No. No. As I've gotten older, I realize what those idols have become. Right. And... And I know what you're talking about in terms of you disagree with we actually put something up and, and no, there actually are some symbols we do yeah. put up that we... We bow to, and um, that isn't well, isn't I, God. I, well, and, and money money is an idol. Absolutely for, for for some, not for all, for some. And you know, but it is for everybody. Everybody has. Let me put it this way: everybody has a price. Everybody has a price. I that's I would probably agree with that. Yeah, I, um, I think everybody has a price in terms of what. But some but some people don't let it rule their lives, and or, I think and that that's the difference. Right? For me, that's the difference. Are you some making... People don't, some people are not... My whole life and being is about how much money can I amass just yes. for the sake of making money because it's a game. And you know, yes. for, for a lot of the rich and powerful, it isn't even about um, the fact that they like, want the lavish lifestyle or whatever. It becomes a game to them to how much of this can I, yeah. can I do? I guess so. I don't know. Can't I, relate. I, yeah. I <laughs> don't... don't. <laughs> But no, 
there's an obsession. Um, and I think the more you have, the more you continue to want is, is always yeah. the, the way that that seems to work is um, you seem to survive okay on this and then you suddenly have more money and then, wait a minute, I'm, not, I'm still not because I'm spending more on X, Y, and Z. And so yeah. now I need more and now I need more and now I need more. And that, yeah, just, so, yeah, that just seems to be the way that so that we've, we've kind of, from a family standpoint, we've kind of hit that point. Um, so for so much of our marriage, Chris, for so much of my marriage, you know, we were operating off of one income. You know, so you know, when, when Christine and I got married, you know, I was not, you know, we were both working at that point. And shortly after we got married, I went to seminary. Well, I wasn't, I wasn't working in seminary. Um, so Christina worked. And I went on an internship, and I made, got my internship stipend, and you know, Christina didn't work because you know, she was pregnant with Anna Mae, and it's really hard to get a job when you move and knowing you're you know, four months pregnant, and <laughs> not, not the easiest time to find, to find a job in a new community. Um, and then we got done internship, moved back to Gettysburg to finish seminary, and Christina got her job back, and I went to class, and then we moved to Gainesville, and then she started her PhD program, and so, so moving here, her graduating and finally, you know, starting her private practice part-time and, and teaching, um, teaching at FIU, we now have, like, we now have two incomes. Our lifestyle, we, you know, we bought a house, you know, we're able, we're able to do, we're able to do some more things and we still try and, and, and strike that balance of saying, okay, I don't want to live that paycheck to paycheck like we were before where we couldn't do anything. But there also has to be that line where at the end of the month, we're not going, oh, there's a deficit. You know, let's, you know, we, can, we can raise our standard of living a little bit and still save and still tithe and yada, yada, yada. And, and that's, it's, it's hard. It's a, it's a challenge. Um, it's a challenge in, in looking at you know, acquiring more income. So yeah, m- money can be really addictive and, and it can become an idol. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's, there's so many things that we're willing to put before God. Well, and I think as a society, you, it's not even an individual kind of thing. Um, I mean, it is individual because individuals make up a society. But you have, I mean, let's face it, every society has always been driven by economics. Yeah, the, the, the system, again, we talk yeah. about systems a lot. The system perpetuates that, yeah. that raising of money above God. So, you know, we... Again, we claim Christian nation, right? Um, which is 65% true. Um, we, claim, we claim to be a Christian nation and our economic system really rules, right? Mm-hmm. Over, over our faith. And, I, and I, don't, I don't say that as, I don't know what I say that as. I don't say that necessarily as a slight. It's just, you're right, it's a reality. There's an economic system in the world that exists and we're caught up in it. And if, if we're really being honest, the economic system that exists rules our lives. Rules our lives and is antithetical to our faith. I mean, it really is. Um, and, and again, I know those are really hard words to hear, and I struggle with them too. But it's. Yeah. No, you know, it, it is. It's, it's, and, then, and then that also, you know, leads into, you know, this injustice piece, right? So the two things that, that, that the Israelites were really getting trashed by the prophets for were, one, worshiping other gods, other, you know, false idols, and then injustice, you know, treating people like crap, mm-hmm. taking advantage of people, often for money. So again, so you know, it's this economic system that just churns against, 
You have an economic system that churns, and it's, it's turning, the, churning the opposite way of, the, of, of Christianity and of faith. Part of the re- but here's the thing. The two are tied together. Say the, more. The, the idol worship and the, the unjust systems yes. are tied together. Yes. Um, because it, this was why God didn't want anybody having other gods. This is why God doesn't want you having other things in your life because, at least the forefront of your life, not that you can't have other things in your life, but at at the forefront of your life because if you aren't living your life according to the way God wants you to, it is going to, by default, become something oppressive because if money is what's ruling you, that means there's somebody else that's being oppressed in order for you to like right. amass that money. Because yep. in order for the billionaires of the world to be billionaires of the world, that means most of them had to um, cut wages, that kind of stuff, in order to increase their profit margins. Yep. So instead of offering the best possible benefits or whatever, which meant, oh, maybe they weren't going to make as much money, but their workers weren't having to be on welfare. Yeah. I, it, I, wor- I worked for a business. It was a family-owned business, not my family. And the benefits year after year slowly decreased. Mm-hmm. Oh, we, you know, we can't afford to, to pay the same amount. You're going to have to pay a higher percentage. You're going to have to pay a higher... And then and, and healthcare costs were going up. I, I get that. And then on the flip side, you would see all the, all the things that, that the family of the family-owned business were kind of extracting on the side from the business portion of it that made the, made this look made the company look less profitable to allow them to say well we really can't afford this look at the books and I'm like yeah but what about all these things that you just What about kinda... that what about that 5 grand you're slipping in your pocket you know every couple of weeks you know what about come on um, again it's that economic system yeah and and so that, like I said, this is why they're so tied together. This is why God did not want them following um, other gods because yeah. the other gods were part of of systems of oppression. They were systems of injustice. And it's and it's and not it's not that those other things are are necessarily bad. Right? No, not in and of themselves. It's, no, it's that money in and of itself is is just money. Yeah, I mean, it and, is it's, what and it, it is. and it's, it's it's necessary. But it's the value we put upon it. Correct. And, and I, so I'll take it a step further. It's the value we put upon it in relationship to God, in relationship to our faith. That's and where, relationship to others. Right. That's where, that's um, where it gets... We monetize and put a value on someone's worth. Yeah. Um, we, we decide what they... I kind of talked about this, I think, a week or two ago. Um, we decide how much a person is worth. Um, and yeah, this, doing... this was highlighted during COVID, right? Because we had this whole essential worker thing, right? right? The essential workers. And you step back and you look and go, well, those, pe- those people that were deemed essential are minimum wage jobs. Yeah. They're essential, but we're paying them minimum wage. Yeah, we're, we're there's dis- there's a disconnect there, right? Because yeah. it's like, if you're essential, why are we paying you minimum wage? Shouldn't we be paying you... Yeah. 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 So, I, I think, so I, th- I think it's interesting. You're talking about... You know, the things we put before the things we put before God, the things that and, and there's and we, we all have those seasons or those times or those moments when we do those things. And I don't want to I if you're Catholic, I'm sorry, just plug your ears for about five seconds. I don't want to play the Catholic guilt. Right. Like oh, you gotta put God before absolutely everything. 
you can never do anything. You have to come to church every Sunday. You, you, you can't take that day to, you know what I mean? I, I don't, I don't want to lay the Catholic guilt on. Because what you're talking about, though, is more performative, which God Correct. didn't want anyway. Correct. Correct. But it, that's how it gets played out Yes, today. no, no. It's so the, so we, had, you know, we had a meeting a few weeks ago. As opposed to a way of life. Right. We had a meeting a few weeks ago um, about the youth gathering in Minneapolis the end of the, this coming summer, um, end of July. The timing of the gathering this year, because of COVID, it was supposed to happen last year, they pushed it back to this year, is at the end of July instead of the end of June, beginning of July. The end of July puts the gathering in competition with some, some school activities, band, off to college, those sorts of things. Um, totally get it. Um, we had a youth in our congregation, and, and this, this is a direct quote, and, and you know, we often miss... Um, you know, we often miss and kind of discount you know, the youth. Oh, they come, they come and they look all sleepy on Sunday mornings and you know, they're wearing jeans and a hoodie or you know, whatever. I'm surprised what they're paying attention to. And you know, we actually had one of our youth verbally, this is a direct quote, because um, I said, you know, I just want you all to be aware that because of the timing of it, it may conflict with your, your band priorities or your other school extracurricular activities. And I had a youth say, and direct quote, I'm prioritizing my faith. Holy crap. Like, like that is, that is like, yeah. that is like, the, like what you work for. That is what we, this is why we do what we do for someone to say, well, especially, I, especially a young I am prioritizing yeah. my faith, especially a young person, especially this young person, because three years, three and a half years ago, I don't know how long I've been here, three, four years, you could have, you could have, I, you could have bet me a million dollars, and I said, nope, not from that kid. That kid has grown, and, and we've seen it in, in a number of years. We had another, we had another youth that didn't use that exact verbiage. Um, the, our other youth's verbiage was, you know what, I already talked to, you know, my band teacher and was like, I really want to go to this thing. It's important to me. What do I have to do for you so that I can go? So again, I, this, is, this, this, is, this is important to me. I, 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 I'm not discounting this other thing. I'm not discounting band. But I, this other thing is important also. What do I have to do so I can do, so I can do this? I mean, those, I mean that's, that's kind of... I'm not saying our, our, our youth are perfect. I'm not saying that these two particular youth are perfect. Nobody is. But, I mean, that's, that's what we're shooting for. We're shooting for, you know, they're, as, they're as, as pastors, as faith leaders, we're shooting for moving people along on their faith journey, right? right. And, it's, and I say moving along and journey because it's not, it's not a stagnant thing. Never. You know, if you look at Scripture, there's so much movement throughout scripture from the be in the beginning you know, there's so much movement it through throughout scripture that that takes us along that faith journey we're really supposed to we're really supposed to mirror that i think you know so so we're kind of born you know popped out you know naive naked you know there's so many parallels and you know we go through life and you know other things are important to us and blah, 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 blah. And we're supposed to grow into that faith journey that we get to a point where as, as we you know, think of that 
you know, this doesn't help that I'm moving my hands. The, the, the curve thingy, not the bell curve because it goes back down. The upward part of the bell curve, I'm not a math nerd. I don't know what that is called. But that, that graph that gradually goes up and peaks, and at the top of it, oh, wow, like the top of the graph is like heaven, right? It's like ma- you've maxed out your faith. You've like faith jackpot. Like our goal is to go from that birth, the, the naive part of you know, our personal creation, you know, sort of work our way through all of the stuff and learning and to get to that. That's what pastors, that's what faith leaders, youth directors, that's what they work for, right? Like moving people along that journey to the, to the top of the graph faith jackpot thing that I just made up off the top of my head, but just work with me here. Well, so pastor, I know, <laughs> is commenting uh, just this week, this weekend. It's like, yeah, you know, you get through, just like I, I get to Sunday and Sunday afternoon, I'm just like, oh my gosh, okay, I'm done. You know, I've, I've, I've learned everything. I've, I've, I'm so done with, with studying scripture and whatever because there's just nothing more. I'm so full of all of this. She goes, and then Monday morning I pick up my Bible, I open it up and go, well, now isn't that interesting? <laughs> it's like there's always, always something new, some new nuance, some new thing. Um, and I have always said if your faith is not evolving um, constantly throughout your life, then there's a problem. Absolutely. And I mean, I definitely know where, where I was, you know, 10, five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, it has been a, a very shifting polar, almost, I would say polar opposites yeah. well, of where, the, where the, I started from. I was the, the kid, the kid that said, I'm prioritizing my faith. When I was his age, I stopped going to church. Yeah. I was, I was like polar opposite. I was like, nope, I'm done with this. And, and part of it was you know, things I saw in the church that didn't quite, I'm like, wait a minute, so y'all are saying this, but you're doing I probably this. And... Was, I was still going to church at like 16, um, but I don't know that I was going for the right reason. I went because I felt bad for my mom. Yeah. My, mom my dad had quit going. My brother was like, well, if dad's not going, I'm not going. Um, and my mom, it was still important to her. And I always felt bad if she had to go by herself. Yeah. So I always got up and went with her. And so, so, so that's another example of God, you know, taking a crappy situation and working through it and saying, hey, you know what, this kind of stinks. And you know what, she's going to go along. Yeah. You know, God working in the midst of, and, in the midst of and, that. And don't, don't get me wrong, it is that my, my dad actually goes, well, they haven't since COVID, but he actually started going to church again a couple of years ago. Um, they even... Um, long story, my parents kind of were churchless. Uh, the church my mom had been working for, some stuff happened, and so they weren't going for a while. And my dad had never gone, even when my mom worked for a church. And now they're both going, they became members and are going to a church again. And then COVID hit, and so, you know, they're kind of back to not doing a whole lot. Of, they, they watch it online. Yeah. Um, but they're still not real anxious to get back in a sanctuary and stuff like that. My mother's immunosuppressed, compromised, um, et cetera. And your dad's a doctor, so I mean... Well, my dad's a doctor, but he's also a cancer survivor. Right. um, But I mean, look, I go, okay, so I love my wife, immunocompromised, cancer survivor, doctor, maybe maybe my education tells me we should just like kind of chill and watch online for a little while. Yeah. Makes sense. So they're still still kind of in that mode. Yeah, makes sense. Um, But it... It, it's, it's amazing to watch the progression, though, of, of people's faith throughout their lives. And, 
And we do have In both times. directions. In both directions. Yeah. And, I, and I'm just going to say, I think we all have times, or at least a lot of us do. There, there are a few people who probably never have this, but I think there are times where we do kind of take a step back and, and kind of go, we have doubts, we have questions, we're, we're whatever. For me, that was basically my 20s. Um, you know, my, my late teens, my 20s. Um, it was probably when I was about 28 that, that I kind of started the, the turn back, so to speak. Um, just, and I can't explain it other than it was something inside me going, you need to go back, you need to, you need to be part of this again somehow, some way, um, somewhere. But, you know, I think that that, that is kind of that, that progression and that journey of, uh, of, of faith that, that keeps, um, moving us in directions and part of that is too is i think always throughout scripture what we have so like what we have in jeremiah is yeah okay he's he's upset about what has happened and why it has happened and yet there's still that but this isn't gonna this isn't how it's gonna be forever now, granted, in, in terms of the exile and whatever, there was an actual time frame put around it that was like, okay, 70 years. You know, in 70 years, you're going to come back. Um, but there's that, that sense that we have as well, I think, of this isn't how it's always going to be. And, and I think that is what we need that, to kind of keep propelling us so, forward is that promise of this is not how it's always going to be. So, so it's interesting. So I, I was listening and also kind of off in my own head, thinking, <laughs> of, thinking, thinking about, you know, okay, so we're talking about this faith journey and our, I, I strongly feel that our job, a large portion of our job is to move people along on their faith journey, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, okay, so we have two examples just off the top of my head. You know, we sort of have the prophetic example. Listen, um, as one of my seminary classmates used to call it, turn or burn. Like, yes. Change your ways or you're going to burn in hell. Like that sort of thing. And he wasn't, like he said no, it. To- I know. He said it tongue in cheek. Yeah. But, you, but I mean, ingest. you have, you know, the prophets were kind of a turn and burn group. Yeah. You know, either change your ways or y'all are going to burn. Well, and, and, and your cities are going to burn. Moses was that way. Right. Moses was. Correct. Choose life or choose yeah. death. Much, I mean. much, of, much of the Old <laughs> Testament, much of the Old Testament is, 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 is there's a lot of turn, turn or burn in the, in the Old Testament. And then we have, we have Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. And Jesus is less turn or burn and more you know, forgiveness and grace and mercy and love. And, and one, of the things, one of the things that we um, hear from a complaint standpoint is that we need to hear more mercy, hope, and love, right? Okay. Um, sometimes the sermons are too dark and we need more, we need more hope and mercy and love. And I, I absolutely agree with that. I agree with that. Mm-hmm. However, if we only hear, only hear, Mercy, grace, and love, what compels us to move along that path? What, what, what confronts us and forces us to change? Yes. So I think, I think it's a both and, right? So we absolutely need the prophetic voice. You know, we need the Jeremiah's to say, listen, like what we're doing is not okay. And we need that the Jesus voice, the gospel, to say, hey, listen, you're loved, you're forgiven. I'm calling you to more. I love you. I forgive you. There is hope. And you got to keep moving forward. And in order to move people forward, 
you got to also kind of mm-hmm. kick in the rear a little bit. It's, it's sort of that coaching thing, you know, having, having been an athlete and having been a coach, it's finding each person has, and this is what makes, this is what makes pastoring so hard. Each person has different buttons to push to move them along, just like each athlete has different buttons to push to move them along. I mean, there are some people who, you know, if you are more derogatory towards, that motivates them to work harder. There are other people that if you're derogatory, like, forget, I quit. Yeah. So there's, there's athletes that need praise, there's athletes that need, you know, there's athletes that need gospel, and there's athletes that need law. Same with parishioners, and it's really hard. And you know, when you're you're preaching to you know 100 people or however many people, to push everybody's button every week the right way to move them along their journey. So I think it's important. It's one of the things I love about the selectionary. You know, the selectionary, you know, sort of forces the, our hand a little bit um, towards the pushing the law buttons. That are, that are sometimes hard to hear. And I think for us, it's finding that balance of here's the law and here's the gospel. And I, I've, I've really tried more recently, especially, um, to make sure to throw in some gospel on those law-heavy services. This week was, I mean, Jeremiah's pretty law-heavy. Yep. Right. But he, but he Jeremiah. Has, but he throws in. But he throws in his little bit of gospel right, right at the end. Right. You get. Nope. You get fifty. You get fifty chapters of law, hmm. and you get a chapter of gospel. And and again, and I think for me that 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 one chapter of gospel and that hope is enough. It 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 should be. It's supposed to be. And and it always is interesting for me to watch and hear how other people hear our sermons. So you were preaching this weekend, which meant I was back kind of messing with the live stream a little bit during yep. during that just to you know um make sure and we you know and, and there's always somebody back here as well and one of the people who was back here was listening to your sermon believe it or not you know there, there was listening going every on. now and then it happens and their comment when you started talking about your ordination vows hmm. they went oh i hate those things well, I know those ordination but, vows are so convicting. I know, but here, here was here was what was it was interesting. They were sitting there and they just went, "Oh!" And they turned and they looked at me and they went, "I never thought about the fact that you took a vow to do this, and that you have." She's, you know, this this person's like you. You actually took a vow that you are going to work towards justice, etc. And that, that's right in there. And, and that was one of those things that, that just never, I think, occurs to a lot of people. They're like, I want you to do what I want you to do. I want to hear what I want to hear. Not realizing we've taken a vow <laughs> um, that includes some promises of what we're going to do as pastors. Yeah, so I, that I sometimes like, is going to rail against what you maybe want to hear. I like that you use the word includes because it's not, it doesn't exclude. Oh, no, no, no. It no, doesn't no. exclude because I think some people think we're just trying to beat people down. No. And, and if, if you're listening and you feel like that, uh, we're, I, I'm not. I was only speaking, and I know pastor. I'm not trying to beat you down. We're trying to move you along that path, that faith journey, and and sometimes like we you know we need we need to have you know sort of our eyes opened a little bit 
and and called out a little bit so we, I oh. get so, so we can reflect constantly this oh is me the too thing, this is the thing i think people don't understand is when i'm preaching something usually it's because if, if there's something i'm trying to hammer home it's because it's something within me as well yep that i know is a struggle yep and that i know is something that is hard to 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 deal with and i'm and i i do whatever i can to be like hey I'm not saying y'all's bad because guess what, I'm I'm right right there with you. Yeah. I, the, these are these are things that I struggle with too. Um, when so Moses tells the people, look, you can choose life or you can choose death. Choosing life means following following this path, doing doing things this way, um, following God putting God first, blah, 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 blah. Or you can choose this more destructive style of life, which meant they were going to follow other nations and do the things other nations did. It was like, here's your choice. Yep. Didn't mean they were, quote, going to die and burn kind of thing. It was like, no, this is, this is not a life that is, is life-giving. This is a life that's destructive. Right. Jesus picks up that same thing when he is talking about the, the narrow path and, and, and the wide path, um, narrow gate, wide gate, whatever you want to call it. Yep. Um, it's that... Um, says the wide is the one that leads to destruction. Well, it's kind of that same idea of destructive life patterns of this is what you're doing that is not life-giving and fully acknowledges is that the way that gives life in the most abundant possible way is very narrow and very hard. And, and that part is difficult yep. because um, while... Jesus' burden is light, and, and, and there is grace, and there is love, and there is forgiveness. There's also the acknowledgement that uh, uh, following God is not the easiest path to take. Yeah. And that there are a lot of right. other paths that, that lead to more destructive lifestyles and more destructive ways of living, and your society can go down those destructive ways as well that that narrow path is narrow for a reason because it is a little harder. Yeah. And I should say a lot harder. And that very few of us are going to not ever stray off that path. And we're going to do things that are destructive in either our own lives or in the lives of other people, uh, whether intentionally or unintentionally. Yeah. When, when I said a, a few minutes ago, I, I, hate, I hate my ordination vows. <laughs> um, I hate them because, one, they're convicting. Yeah. And they two, they, they force you, I, I feel, I know that, I, I feel like not all pastors feel this way, which is a shame. And I think it gets some of us and gets others in trouble. Um, I, feel, I feel very strongly that, you know, part of our ordination vows and our baptismal covenant, both, you know, our vows of baptism are to work for justice. Um, <laughs> And I, we do some of that work with, you know, with things like the soup kitchen and family promise and those sorts of things. But I think it's also you know, looking at systems and systemic issues. And I feel like you know, some of those need to be addressed on the pulpit. Well, not, not political issues, but justice issues. And, and they're, I, I, they're, I get it's blurred. Yeah. But if we're not talking about justice issues from the pulpit, you know, it, it's, I, I don't feel like I'm being faithful. And that's, and that's why I, I hate my ordination vows because I, I like to make people happy. Like, I don't like to make people mad. And I know, you know, when someone leaves, oh, pastor, good sermon, nice sermon. I know somebody else is like, you know, and they're under their breath. They're like, yep. um, 
And, and I and I hate that. I know it happens. I hate that. Yep. But again, it's that, and I, I feel like the prophets were in that same boat. Like I don't think the prophets were just this group of people oh. who really hated everybody. Jeremiah actually talks a lot. Speaking, you know, since right. we're talking about Jeremiah, talks a lot about the hard word of God and how, like, any time he tried not to say anything, it was, you know, he he was like, I am so not, uh, uh-uh. uh this is going to just get me into trouble and I am not going to do it. He said it burned. It like burned like fire in his bones and he couldn't not say it. It was that, that was how much it was being compelled in him where he's like, this is going to get me into so much trouble. And yet I can't sit by and say nothing. So I, I have to say I, it. I think it was Friday. I don't know if it was Friday or, or early Saturday. I, I messaged Pastor Rebecca and I said, yeah, my sermon this week. Um, dark. I think it's dark. I don't. Uh, and I, I, so I sat down again, and I, I always do this. And I'm like, and I, I sat down with every intention of trying to rewrite it. Mm-hmm. Like I sat down and was like, I need to rewrite this. I know it's kind of dark and it's a little heavy. Now I, throw, I always throw some humor in there to try and lighten it up a little bit and try and throw some fun examples in to try and lighten it a little bit. But you know, the overall message, I get it. You know, I my sermon kind of reflected Jeremiah. I had 50 chapters of dark and a chapter of hope from a ratio standpoint. Yeah. And I'm like, this is dark. I, I, I feel like I need to rewrite this. And I tried and I couldn't. Yeah. And not because I didn't want to. I felt so compelled. And I think that's the other thing that people miss. There's a lot of not just study that goes into writing a sermon. There's also a prayer that goes into it. Yes. You know, there's a discernment and a prayer that goes into. Should I say this? Into writing a sermon and then Should writing and then this? reflecting back and editing and those, there's a there's a lot of prayer that goes into it, and for whatever reason, I you could again you could have speaking of money you could have paid me a million dollars and I don't think I could have rewritten that sermon. I just don't think I could have. Um, it would be fun to try and find out. No. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Somebody wants to take me up on that? Uh, my email is pastorchad at ILC. I so and my bank account number is blah, 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 I'll, blah, I'll blah, blah, blah. I'll see what I can do. Like I yeah. said, everybody's got a price. Um, <laughs> but no, I mean, I, I actually, I feel kind of sorry for Jeremiah from the standpoint of he is probably one of the most depressed prophets and, and when you think about it, I mean, he's watching this destruction all around him. I get it. You know, it's, that was a hard time to live. That was a hard time to be. That was a hard time to be a prophet um, because everything is being destroyed. Everything is, is being leveled before him. And it's hard. It's just, it's, yeah. So, but next week is Ezekiel. Ezekiel will be about... Dry bones, dry bones. Those dry bones coming back to life. So as we creep closer and closer to that, that light shining in the darkness. Advent week two. We get, we get to hear about, so they've gone into exile, but now there's this promise, and we'll get to focus a little bit more on this promise that's coming. So Maybe more hopeful. Have a, yeah, hopefully should be a little more hopeful. I haven't written the sermon yet, so we'll see. <laughs> Anyway, have a great rest of your week, and we will talk to you next week. Happy Advent. Bye-bye.